ask the average business leader, have you ever implemented a learning management system to onboard your employees or to onboard your clients to use your software? And a lot of them will probably say, no, it's sort of an informal kind of a process, or we just send them a PDF or what, you know, like this sort of a way of doing things that could work. But if you were able to implement something a little bit better, then you have more visibility into how what's working. You can get more engagement. You can get more, get them to really love your product. And so what I want to do is leverage the expertise that we have on staff to help our clients so that they know that if they're stuck or they have a strategy question or they want to know how to use a particular feature better, that our team is able to walk them through that process. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew, and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit? yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to The Dirt. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Dirt. I am your host, Jim Barnish, and joining me today is an Air Force veteran with an underdog mentality who just loves to help others get through inflection points in their business, all while scaling his own, of course. He's built a multi-million dollar business in a crowded space, which is tough to do, CRM, talk more about that, but has a unique go-to-market strategy that has allowed him to consistently acquire new customers. Lars Helgeson, founder and CEO of Green Rope, say hello to everyone. Thank you for having me, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, pleasure to have you. So let's start with the basics. Tell us who you are. Well, my name is Lars Helgeson. I grew up in Southern California, went to college in upstate New York, was in the Air Force for a few years, got out and decided to start my own business. Had a a business partner at the time when I started, and uh, we have since parted ways and have just grown my business organically over the last, gosh, what is it, 22 years, 23 years now? And I've never taken any venture funding or private equity and have put a lot of sweat equity into building the business up. And we're not huge. We're we're about 20 people, but uh, happy to be successful in a, in a, as you mentioned, a pretty crowded space in the CRM and marketing automation world. So CRM, for those of you that don't know, which you all probably should know because it's such a common term now, but customer relationship management. Right. They're commonplace today in every business, every industry for the most part. Well, not enough, but we'll get to that later. There are some mature companies out there, right? Those Salesforce, Oracle, HubSpot, Pipedrive, et cetera. So talk through how you've competed in that industry with a lot of Goliaths, but being bootstrapped. It's been tough, you know, and especially when it comes to creating awareness. All of those companies that you mentioned have taken millions and millions of dollars of seed funding or investment and use that to create a a buzz about their business. And it's a challenge when you're a small business and you don't have those same kinds of budgets. And so we have to find ways to sort of asymmetrically compete in letting people know that we exist as an alternative to some of those big companies that will save them a lot of money, give them really good service and provide what 
obviously I'm very biased, but uh, better, better software. And so we worked very hard to provide that. And I think if you were to look at you know any of our reviews or anything, you would see that that I stand behind everything that we do and believe in everything that we do and have for the last 23 years. And the path towards getting there, obviously years in, right, has been uh, uh, riddled with obstacles and, and fun ways around navigation in, in a lot of ways. But one of the things that I found most intriguing when I spoke to you is your go-to-market strategy and how that's evolved uh, over the years. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you've chosen the, the go-to-market that you have today? Yeah, I mean, it's when we started there, it wasn't super crowded of a space. My very first company was a company called Cooler Email. And that was, we were one of the first movers in that in that area. And so we targeted small to mid-sized business. We actually ended up getting some larger businesses. But then as time went on, the, the space got more crowded and everything becomes a commodity over time, you know, where you need to figure out how to, I hate to overuse the word pivot, but come up with different ways to present your your products or your services that make you kind of stand out. And so what we found back in the day and you know this is going back to 2007 2008 was that email marketing by itself just was not enough to give a picture of what was actually happening. And so we came up with the concept of complete CRM um and that was really focused on looking at the entire relationship between a, a lead or a, a client and a business. So if we could help a company understand the whole relationship more than just, you know, did they open an email or did they click on something or did they visit your website, but the whole thing and then build in some automation, then we could really provide a lot of value. And that's where, where we've really focused our energy is how do we provide the most value for our customers? So we started really in the SMB space and we've pretty much stayed there. We do have some pretty large customers and large universities, some, some government organizations as clients, but for the most part, our businesses are SMB. Mm-hmm. And so in that space, of course, it's really crowded and wants to be a CRM, you know, and there are a lot of marketing tools. And I'm sure you've seen those charts that show like every company that's in every sector related to marketing technology. And every year it's like, it gets impossibly more crowded and busy. And, and so some somehow we had to figure out in that crowded space, how do we stand out? And one of the things that we did a few years ago, and and we've sort of changed our pricing model recently, was to come up with the ability to private label or white label our technology so that a partner could use our technology, leverage that to go after their market, to the, after their niche, their the businesses that they have as clients, label it as their own, and then use that as a way to not just make recurring revenue, but have recurring have that strong bond between them and their customer because everyone uses a CRM every day, or at least they should. Yeah, as you mentioned, not everybody does have a CRM, but every business should have a CRM. And so if they're using your CRM, they're going to come to you for support. They're going to come to you for, for additional services. And so this agency type model based on technology is is one that not every agency wants to take on, right? A lot of agencies are very focused on just the creative services and they want to be platform agnostic. But if a partner of ours is focused on a particular niche that they really understand and they have the, the in-house expertise to understand how to implement a CRM, then they license our technology and then they can bring that to their market. And we have some customers that are making more money than, than we do <laughs> just licensing our technology. So 
which I think is great. You know, I'm I'm happy to be the engine behind that growth and focus on the technology itself. And so that's sort of how we've adapted to to get a, away from that really crowded market space because there's really only a couple a couple companies on the market that can come close to it. And the ones that do private label the technology do it in such a cobbled together fashion that there's really not much competition there. So, and so, so really proud of what we've built because we've been able to help so many of our partners grow their own businesses and provide whole staffs of people that are doing the implementation services and the design services to help them help their clients grow on the backs of our platform. So let's uh let's rewind a little bit to before that go to market strategy, right? And and some of the direct trials, tribulations you had because I know a lot of folks try to go direct for everything, right? Not thinking about channels, not thinking about partnerships, whatever those partnerships represent. And a little bit over time they realize that in order to get to scale or some version of scale, they've yeah. got to think beyond direct. What what was that moment where things clicked for you where you know you're like I could keep doing this direct, but I've got to, I've got to think of a new way. Is there, is there a moment in time where you remember, you know, where you were, what you were doing and when that clicked? I wish I could point to my own genius for this, but, <laughs> but I can't. We actually had a, a partner way back in 2003 in our email marketing space who came to us and said, I would love to be able to resell your software, but I don't want to do it under your brand could you build something like that for me? And so we sat down with him and, you know, back in those days, I mean, I was really young then I was, I don't know, 29, 30 years old, something like that. Anyway, I didn't have a lot of experience coming out of the military. And so, you know, I didn't know what was sort of what a channel strategy looked like. I didn't, I didn't know how to build those kinds of things. And so when we talked to our customer who loved our software and said, I want to be able to bring this to my market and sat down and we spent a long time talking to him about how that, what that looks like, how that works, what the revenue models kind of look like, and then realized that we could do a very simple share. And with, because our pricing was, has always been really simple and let them take all of the creative revenue that they can make and just be the engine, the backbone behind his business, we we realized we had something. And so back in the day, we had the email marketing kind of model, and then we switched to the CRM. And we always kind of thought that it would be one of those things that we would charge a lot of money up front for as a way to kind of weed out the people that weren't serious, but also to just defray the costs of labor that it takes to set these things up. I mean, especially when it comes to email, there's labor involved in setting up the domains and the, you know, the hosts and the setting up the IP addresses and the DNS. Like there's just a lot of things that go into that. And so I want I was just thinking that, well, if it costs us a lot of money up front, then let's make sure that we get that. So in case these are flaky partners, we we make our money back. Mm -hmm. But what was happening was we were, we were scaring away a lot of people in the SMB space who thought, we don't really know who this company is because the company is small. I'm They're taking a risk just as much as we are. And so a couple of years ago, and actually just this past year, we'd been thinking about it and kind of strategizing. And then just this past year, we came up with an entirely new model that doesn't have a big upfront cost, that it's just a straight $600 a month, and then gives them the ability to private label 50 accounts. And so any company knows that they can have up to 50 accounts and be paying $600 a month for all of their CRM and marketing automation software is, I mean, that's less than what you would pay for a single account. 
with like a, a typical larger kind of enterprise grade CRM and marketing automation platform anyway. So that that sort of that evolution really came from listening. And I think that's one of the most important lessons that that I learned over time was how important it is to listen to customers. And you got to be careful with that because a lot of customers are very self-serving in the way that they think about what it is that they want, what they're really looking for from, from you. But I think what I found was if you really, if you start to hear themes amongst your customers, you really have to listen to that as a business. It's very important to see what are the themes that matter the most to your clients, the ones that are really in your sweet spot of who you want to serve. Now, is that is that a formal process that you typically go through in, in talking to your clients is a little bit more informal? Or how would others that are like, wow, you're right, like, how do I start thinking more like through the lens of a customer? How would they go about doing that and some of the things that you've done? It's both there, the formal side is we send out surveys and we ask and we have an open channel so that if someone has an idea, they can they can post that. We actually use our own green rope includes a ticketing system. And so we use our with scoring for the tickets. And so we use that as a way to score items that are on our to-do list, the feature requests. And so, and we score based on the size of the customer, the impact on the UX, the amount of effort it takes to build. And so there's a bunch of criteria that go into there so that when we're looking at our roadmap, we can look at that and say, okay, we know that there are a lot of customers that have asked for this and maybe it's a, a small thing that we can do that has a big impact on user experience. So let's do that. So it is a combination of an informal thing because I, I host weekly or monthly webinars for our clients and then for our larger clients and our reseller clients. And then we also have a monthly Q&A that one of our staff members hosts. And so we're always listening to the feedback that we get from those people. And so if something that is new comes up as a feature request, we put it on that list and we we log it, and then it kind of gets racked and stacked um, automatically based on based on all those things. And then, as a as sort of like an aside to that, if someone comes to us and says, "This is really important for me to be able to do X, whatever it is," and we want to effectively jump the line and have this built for us right away, then they can pay for the development effort to do that. And it's just a cost the cost of the development. There's no profit built into it, but it's the idea is that. If they really want something, they can effectively buy that feature and have it built into the system. And of course, everyone will be able to use it, but it puts that feature at the forefront of, of what they can use. And so, and like I said, they're just paying for our labor to do that um, if it's that important to them. And we have a fair number of, I think we probably logged a good couple hundred hours over the last year of people, of clients that said, this particular feature is important enough to me that I need to be able to have that in the CRM. Mm -hmm. Now there is a school of thought. I'm sure there's some people out there listening and they're like, why? Well, you know, I read a book once or twice and I heard a speech by Steve Jobs or the customer doesn't know what they want, right? You know, you need to innovate beyond the customer. They typically don't know what they want. What what would you say to that school of thought in relation to some of the things that that you just mentioned? I think with everything, there's always moderation. I, I think if you have this crazy idea that this thing will revolutionize the way that people do a task or a thing or saves them an amazing amount of time. If you have that amazing idea, you may be able to pull it off. Um, and it's important to remember that Steve Jobs was backed by a lot of money. So if, if he had come up with the iPhone and was backed by a few million dollars, the iPhone would 
who knows where it would be now, right? I mean, it's you probably couldn't even develop it with a few million dollars. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you need to have the ability to take something to market if it's really, really revolutionary. And which is not on, not to say that's an ask. I mean, that's why people get venture capital. I think it's a balance, and it's knowing where you where particular features or functions or whatever it is that you do as a business how much of that is going to be customer driven and how much of that is going to be driven by your own innovation that sort of that should never really work in a live in a vacuum but can be driven from your own inspiration and so i think that you want to do a little bit of both because not everything that we do is customer driven some of it is an idea where someone on our team will say well it sure would be cool if we could do x i mean there would be a great way we could see how a client could benefit from from using a, a i don't know our learning management system a certain way or you know packaging it a certain way whatever you know whatever it is is that there always has to be that balance. I think it helps early on when you have your own idea to bounce that off of your your trusted employees and and clients that have been with you for a long time, or the ones that are the trusted ones where you can say, like, what do you give me your honest feedback about this? And that's an important part of that too, because you want to feel like if you're asking for feedback about something, about an idea or a product or whatever it is that you're doing, that you're getting honest feedback, not people that are going to just, you know, patch on the back and say, Hey, that's great. You right. know, because then you can get led down this, you know, it's the yes man problem you know, where if you have everyone telling you, yeah, it's great. And then you don't get the negative feedback that you need to adjust, whether it's your message or the user experience or whatever you launch something and then nobody likes it or uses it. Right. Right. No, that's that that's it doesn't have to be one extreme or the other, right? You can both listen to your customers and innovate at the same time. Yeah. So when you think about some of your other value levers, if you will, as you've grown the business, are there any others that kind of resemble that light on strategic partnerships alliances beyond the white label strategy that 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 you've had over the years? Well, I, th- I think important things. And it's not necessarily even just focused on the channel strategy. It's really about making sure you've got really good customer service. I have invested heavily. The large percentage of our business is people that work in customer service and in our implementation and training so that people feel like when they get software, they feel like they just have everything on their own and figure everything out on their own. And that's especially important with CRM because everybody's business is a little bit different. And so having of professionals who have experience and and can com- can communicate complex ideas in a way that as a recipient, you feel like I get it. I understand they're on my side. They want to work through this problem with me and make sure I'm happy. That attitude to me is the most important attitude that a company can take because I think that especially when it comes to software, there's almost this tempting thought of saying that, well, let's make it so easy to use that everyone will be able to just log on, create their own account, not talk to anybody and scale the business. And that may work on a very simple kind of an application. Um, But when you're talking something like CRM and marketing automation and customer service automation and all these things that the concepts themselves require a business acumen that a lot of people just 
that they just don't have. And not because they're they're dumb, but just because they've never done anything like that before. Ask the average business leader, have you ever implemented a learning management system to onboard your employees or to onboard your clients to use your software? And a lot of them will probably say, no, it's sort of an informal kind of a process, or we just send them a PDF or what, you know, like this sort of a way of doing things that could work. But if you were able to implement something a little bit better, then you have more visibility into how what's working. You can get more engagement. You can get more, get them to really love your product. And so what I want to do is leverage the expertise that we have on staff to help our clients so that they know that if they're stuck or they have a strategy question or they want to know how to use a particular feature better, that our team is able to walk them through that process. So I would say that that dedication to actual customer service, like real live people taking as good care of them as you possibly can, because they take care of your customers. Mm-hmm. I think that that is absolutely critical. And in it's been a pivotal part of our growth strategy. So you're telling me that if you take care of your employees, your employees will take care of your customers and then your customers will take care of the business. Yep. That's pretty novel. That's yeah, uh, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it seems so simple, right. But it's something that so many businesses ignore. It's like, oh, like, let's just focus on driving more revenue to the business or, you know, Mm -hmm. let's focus on just the customers and forget about the employees who are actually the ones taking care of them or, you know, something that to those degrees. And it's just, it's good to hear. It's refreshing to hear that, that perspective. So when you think about that kind of, those kind of keywords around customer success, customer service, you know, when it, when we boil it down and look at customer retention as kind of the part of the end goal, customer retention and satisfaction, right? What are some of the processes that you've put in place to help nurture some of those customer relationships? I think in a lot of ways, it's about making it easy for people to reach someone who can listen to them. Uh, we have we have a live chat, we have a phone number, we have a ticketing system, so and we have email. So, I mean, there are a lot of different channels that people can use to reach out to us um, they're always accessible. So once you log into your account, if you're stuck, you go to the help page and we've got tons of content that you can look through yourself. If you get stuck, you can fill out a ticket or you can open up the live chat. And our customer service people, their live people are there to to help. And I think that that ha- having that open channel of communication, knowing that we take every request seriously, and you know, there's there's no dumb questions. I remember I had a professor that said, there's no such thing as a stupid question, just stupid people. And, (laughs) you know, right. And that, and that discouraged all of us students from wanting to ask questions. Right. So we always take the tack of saying that we understand that there is a very broad range of experience that people are going to have when they're using anything. I mean, we have some people that are CRM experts that have been doing marketing automation and doing this thing for, for 10, 20 years. And we have some people who brand new and they've just migrated from Outlook and Excel and they want to figure out how to how to set up a CRM. And so when you have that broad range of experience from users, you have to be really sensitive to to what their challenges are going to be and provide help at all those different levels. And so it it can be a challenge for customer service people to to kind of get a sense of where are you on this on this journey? How far along? How well do you know what CRM is, how implemented is it in your organization? So, and, and I think it comes down to being responsible and being 
and compassionate when some people, someone gets frustrated because something doesn't work the way that they thought it would or should and explaining, well, this is how you accomplish your goal. And it really comes down to having that open line of communication and being good at listening. And if, if a company is not good at listening and they don't really care about their customers, I think that that, that becomes part of your brand. And I think an important part of our brand is that we do care that we do want our customers to be successful, that you can pick up the phone or you get on a Zoom or fill out a ticket or jump on live chat or you know, and that we will respond and help you. Yeah, that's good. We talked a little bit about help, a little bit about inflection points, right? How you're helping companies get through those at Green Rope. What what are some of the most in common the most common inflection points that you see? as you're talking to your customers or your customers' customers? I think it sort of depends on the the business. It's one of the things that we did that's a little bit different from the way our competitors work is that our pricing model is, is super simple. You just have a certain number of contacts and everything is available. You can have an unlimited number of groups, forms, websites, emails that you send out, automations, everything. Everything's unlimited. And so you... And the reason why we did that was because we wanted our clients to not have that mental calculation of, do I want to spend an extra X dollars a month to unlock the ability to do whatever particular feature? We wanted that to be simple so that they focus on the growth of their business, whatever that strategy is. And so if they know that they have a survey tool, for example, built into GreenRope, which they do, then they don't have to think about do I need to go get an, another survey program and then figure out how to link that back to the CRM? They have all the features that they need right within the our CRM. They, they can do all different kinds of survey questions with automations and scoring and all the things. And that automatically goes right into the CRM. And so a lot of that inflection comes into the amount of time they spend working in the CRM and how they connect it. And that's actually sort of the, the genesis of the name Green Rope because it's green for sustainability and rope because many strands make a rope strong. So the more strands you connect to Green Rope, the stronger your business is going to be. And so we don't have any barriers to, to any of those things. If someone wants to use the survey tool, the project management tool, the learning management system, the, the wiki for knowledge management, the landing page builder, the, the automations around all, I mean, all of these things are built into the system. So what we want to do is help a business get connected to all of those things so that as they start to scale, they have information so they can they can access all that data that's generated from all those elements really easily. And they can set up the automation because such a big, a huge part of scaling is figuring out what you can automate so that you're not throwing more and more expensive human resources at things that you can automate with software. And Things like customer service automation, marketing automation, sales automation, or sales enablement, all of these things are built around that idea of if you set up systems and processes and you can put in automation, then you're able to scale without needing to worry about those huge investments in people because you can. there will always, of course, be those investments in people and they'll always be expensive, the, the most expensive part of your business. But if you can minimize those things and then hold people accountable through the use of a good CRM, then you can scale a lot more efficiently. And that, of course, provides you more resources to be able to grow. And it's, that's the, the good kind of snowball effect that we want to right. create. Right. 
Yeah, it's 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 I feel like the landscape is changing around from a mindset perspective because it has to. I mean, it has to. And that mindset that I'm speaking to, rather than just having humans do everything, you, you know, make humans more efficient and then you figure out what they're doing to turn that service into a technology and that becomes automation. And then those humans just need to level up and have some career development, which is great around a higher value add job that they can do once automation is in place. And I, it's taken a while to get there in a lot of industries. Some industries still aren't still aren't there, but we don't need to talk about that. In, in, in general, I, though, I see this, this evolution taking place and, and it happening and happening in the right ways. Are you seeing the same thing in the businesses that you're helping to up-level? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a general groundswell, I think, of of expectation and education amongst people, amongst amongst people that work. I think it's younger generations that have always grown up connected to the internet mm-hmm. that are becoming more and more leaders in business. And I think that when they see something that's done in, in antiquated ways, there are still soft, there are still companies out there that are using DOS based software products, you know. And I think when you you have these companies that they start to bring on younger people and who have always been able to jump on their phones and use what they need to do online and have always been able to access information. And then you say, well, here's here, young employee, use this clunky thing that was written 50 years ago. And then they go, what is this? This is dinosaur. Like we've got to do better than this. And so I think that general groundswell of experience and education is driving a broader adoption of technologies like what we're talking about. And and I think that as more and more young people find more positions of leadership and management, they're going to have more of the ability to change the way business has always been done. And I guess this is a, a thing that always happens. It's a constant cycle in business, whatever it is. But I think that with the advent of the internet and, and web-based SaaS tools, that businesses are are becoming more and more aware that there is a better more efficient way of doing things and i think that's led by younger the younger generation because they understand the importance of having interconnectivity of information the ability for them to be able to access if i'm in marketing i need for me to be good at marketing i need to know what sales is doing i need to know how well they're doing it i need to know what their roadblocks are and traditionally, in the old school sense of business, sales and marketing were separate, separated by a wall of blame, you know, where sales is like, you're giving us crap leads and marketing says, you guys are lazy salespeople. And so what we want to do is break that wall down and share information and work together as a team. And I think that once you disassemble this old way of thinking, this adversarial way of thinking in a business and you create more of a team-based approach... I think you're able to create more efficiency. You're able to you're able to do more with less, which is the that's always the the key phrase that people like to throw around. But if you can actually leverage software and technology to do that, and you have people working together, you can actually do that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually got a call earlier from one of my business owner I know, and he's like, "My marketing team is talking all about these MQLs, marketing qualified leads, and my mm-hmm. sales team is talking all about the sales qualified leads." SQLs, right? How the hell do I tie those two things together? Because they're speaking different languages. And I, I don't really know, I'm a little lost at what to do next. So it's, are you seeing that problem a lot? Like that marketing sales alignment, if you will, because I have conversations like that all day. It is an age old problem. It is, that is something that has plagued businesses forever. And I think that the ad, and that's why you need a good CRM, a good CRM that combines marketing and sales technology into the same platform. 
so that of course there's going to be an evolution of leads when they become marketing qualified and sales qualified how do you track them through that whole process your crm should be strong enough to be able to do all of that you should be able to look at the sales the, the customer journey and whether you you model it as a funnel or you know whatever you do the life cycle thing like whatever it is that you do that you can trace that and then look at that set up automation to help them through that process and then have metrics so you can look at that and say well how many of our leads went from marketing qualified to sales qualified? Where did they all go? Can we engage with them and try to get them to be more sales qualified? And so that's a and that's a strategy thing. That's a thing that we as business leaders and owners and managers in our companies are responsible for taking that step back because typically, and this is not obviously this is not universal, but salespeople are going to be focused more on sales. And marketing people are going to be focused more on marketing. And they they feel like, well, once this is out of my ability to influence, then am I really, what am I doing? Do I need to spend a lot of time on this? If I'm a salesperson, does it make sense for me to look at what marketing is doing to attract leads? And the answer is yes, but they need to be able to see how. And you can't do that if you don't have that free flow of information between those two different departments. Yeah. And you can almost compare it to like, forgive the analogy, but like almost like a relay race, right? Like in a relay race, the third position is not going to drop the baton to the fourth position and say, your fault, you dropped the baton, right? But yet Mm -hmm. you see that happening in marketing and sales team where it's like, well, I got it to MQL. That's a qualified lead buddy, right? (laughs) And sales picks it up and say, well, I don't like that. That's not, but you know, it's the system. And then it's the rules around around the the terminology right and and the you mentioned customer journey which is so spot on as the answer that solves it right as long as you understand the gates and the whole team is aligned to what that process looks like there should be no argument as to what an mql or an sql is there should be no argument around how that baton is passed right and so it's it's good to hear how much you're helping other businesses get through those inflection points so I got a question for you as, as it relates to your inflection points. Like what are the inflection points that you've been in business a while now? What are some of the inflection points that you've seen as you've grown? I, I think that a lot of it has tracked with the development of our own software because we use our own software to run our business. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the key inflection points when we developed our internal certification program, you can become Greener Up certified and it's a whole course that's based on our learning management system. And so when new customers come in, we encourage them to go through that process to become certified. And so that has helped us in two ways. One, it's it's reduced the support burden because once they go through this course, they know so much more about how to use the platform. And two is we've, we've created advocates and evangelists over people that really understand how to use our software because it is so powerful. And for what it is and for the cost associated with it, they realize that, wow, this thing can do all these things for my business. I can I can help my own business and then I can, then they'll go out and they'll spread the word and talk to the people that they know. Yeah. And so that certification program has been a big part of our growth and our success. And I think part of it too has been finding really good people on the team. I feel like there's always going to be some churn or whatever, you know, like we, we don't really lose employees that often, but... Mm-hmm. I think that when you're able to find people that maybe are B players and then replace them with A players, I feel like we have a team of A players now. 
And I think that that's been a key part of our growth strategy too. And that's not to say that we don't have our own internal kind of conflicts and people that want that believe in what they want to do and have ideas and everything, but it's very healthy. And it's, and I think that creating that culture has been really important for us as a team to, to grow and enjoy our work. We genuinely and love what we do, knowing that we can help businesses. You know, I, today we are working with the American Cancer Society. So knowing that like, that our impact affects thousands and thousands of people, whether they need to see a message or they need to have a, the ability to access care or whatever it is, knowing that that our work is is not, we're not directly helping patients, but we're enabling that to happen. And you translate that to all kinds of different businesses and, and organizations. And that it really, it feels really good. One of our clients provides healthcare services to people in, in Kansas that are low income. Now, I mean, I, to me, I feel like that is actually making a difference and that we can enable an organization like that to get healthcare to people who really need it. And I think that things like that, where you're, where you know that you're impacting the world in, in, in not some stupid Pollyanna, you know, like fake life or whatever, or like the, like, look, I'm on Instagram selfie kind of thing. This is like actually helping people really makes a difference. And that to me, makes it makes me happy it makes my team it set it fulfills our team and that's why we learn everything about all of our clients we we try to do everything we can to help them because we want to be a part of their growth and their success too love it love it so all right so to, to tie off on every episode audience knows that but knows this but but you may not lars we we do what's called a founder five founder growth five and it's five quick hit questions that we roll through all about you and your growth so the first one is top metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on. So what I look at is CPA, cost per acquisition. So I want to know how much it costs me to acquire a new customer. And I can know that down to the, to the penny based on, because I use a CRM to, and our marketing, our own marketing automation system to keep track of our campaigns how much we're spending on those campaigns and how much it costs to bring those clients in. And so I track month over month, annual averages, seeing if there are various different campaigns. And I shouldn't say I do all of that. I have, I have a marketing team that does that. But from a, from a senior perspective, I look at these different campaigns and different channels and see, are any channels working better or worse than others? Why are we putting more money into this if it's not really driving leads in that aren't converting? Mm -hmm. So having that laser focus on CPA is, is critical. All right. The second one is a top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. It's taking that step back. It's doing the strategy. And really, that's what founders have to do. This is the special sauce is taking the step back and looking at the customer journey, looking at what it is you're selling, why you're selling, what does your process look like, making sure things like what we were talking about before with sales and marketing, making sure that they know how to work together and that these leads aren't being created in an adversarial kind of environment, that you have a teamwork-based approach to, to the growth of your business. All right. The third one is favorite book or podcast that's helped you to grow as a founder. I think The Art of War, which I read in my 20s, because it really makes you, it's a short read, it's quick, and it's it's got a lot of really good fundamental things that really, and I, and I think the most important thing that I remember 
about that is is taking the emotion out of your business decisions and really relying on data information and you know in the art of war he talks a lot about about using your adversaries emotions against them which may or may not be applicable in the business climate because you're usually not like it's not you against the customer <laughs> or you against a competitor a lot of times it's you against a whole market so if you take the if you take that kind of step back and you think about how can i make a decision that's based on information and maybe a whole market or the the 800 pound gorillas in that market space are emotionally driven for a particular reason how do you leverage that as a way to to win maybe a smaller battle in your market in your niche awesome uh sun tzu art of war put that in the notes all right fourth one is what actor would play you in a movie that is a good question you know i kind of kind of gone gone back and forth about this one i was originally i thought harrison ford because when i was a kid han solo was the coolest guy ever but i would say that that so i would say sean bean would be the first one that comes to mind only in the sense that that and granted he dies in a lot of his movies but <laughs> but but um Ned Stark, when he played Ned Stark, there was a certain amount of grace and strength that he possessed that I, I don't know that that I should say that I I hope that I am able to embody that, you know, and I, I remember in Game of Thrones in the first season of Game of Thrones, where he said, you know, if you're if you are going to swing, the, if you're going to condemn someone to death, you have to be the one to swing the sword. And so, and I thought that was kind of interesting because it really speaks to personal courage. And that's one of the things that I've really strived to embody in my life. And of course, nobody's perfect, right. but to, to always try to make those decisions, the, the right decision. And sometimes there are very difficult decisions that have to be made and you accept responsibility for those. Nice. All right, last one. What is going to be the title of your autobiography when you are all done? So I thought about this one too. Like the the auto my autobiography. I I think that so much of my life has been focused on my business. You know, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, my ego is wrapped around what I have built in my business, and I think every founder is. And there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into that. But if I were to make an autobiography and title it, I would say the sacrifice is worth it. Because I think when you look back on your life and you think about what you have built, what you have created, how many people have you helped? How many smiles have you brought to their face? Those kinds of things that that I think as a as a founder, you have to sacrifice a lot of yourself to be able to do that. But when you look back on your life, you know that you've built something that, you know, no one does it alone. It's your, you do it with your team. But if you stand by your team and you stand by your, your message of what you want to do with your life, what you stand for, then it's worth it. Yep. It's a, it's a good way to end here. So you've given a lot to our listeners today, Lars. So thank you for that. But I, I also want to allow for a little bit of self-promotion. How can those listening help you out? Well, we have greenrope.com is our website that talks about our CRM platform. We have completecrm.com, which is our website that talks about being a partner. And so I would say if you're interested in CRM or marketing automation, go to Greenrope or Complete CRM. Con connect with me on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find. I wrote CRM for Dummies, the book, the, the For Dummies series book. And so 
you know, and I don't mean this like buy my book. It's more about educate yourself on CRM. I, I tried to write it from as simple a perspective as I could. And of course, it's impossible to touch on absolutely everything, but I think I, I think it's a good introduction or at least talks about a lot of the more the the basic concepts and then touches on some of the more advanced concepts mm-hmm. in a way that should be easily digestible. So I would say, yeah, complete CRM, green rope, CRM for dummies, LinkedIn, you know, connect with me in any way. And if if there's anything I can do, just I'm happy to be a, a resource. Lars, this has been a great, great time, great knowledge. And thank you for joining us on The Dirt. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great being here. All right. Take care. Thanks. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.